following was a homily preached by Deacon Joe Dietz, serving at Christ the King Catholic Church in South Bend, Indiana, and St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio. This homily was from the 2020 Christ the King Volunteer Retreat. It is preceded by the Gospel reading upon which it was based. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. Well, good morning. On behalf of Father Steve, Father Mike, Deacon Gill, and myself, let me start off by thanking you for the service you provide to the church and school here at Christ the King. By definition, if you are here at the volunteer retreat, you have volunteered in some capacity, many of you in several areas, and we quite simply could not function as parish or school without you. Now, since you are the service-oriented type, I am going to start off by asking you to perform a service for me. And that would be to pray over me in preparation for this reflection. Please extend your right hands toward me and repeat after me. O good and gracious God of the universe, we give you praise and glory this day. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon Deacon Joe and empower him to preach your word according to your most holy will. Help him to get out of your way, to say what you would have him say, and help us to hear what you would have us hear. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. Have you ever heard a person describe another person by saying, oh, he or she thinks they are God's gift? It is usually not meant to flatter the person. But today I am here to tell you that we are meant to be God's gift, or at very least, a delivery person for the giftedness of God to the world. Think of some nice gift that you had delivered to you, the joy it brought, the good feelings about the sender. But you know, all that joy and good feeling wouldn't have happened if the gift had never gotten to you. Let's say you need an item. It could be a tool or battery, a part to repair something, a piece of clothing. So you need it and God wants you to have it. Does God drop it out of the sky into your lap? Well, not for most of us. If if he does in fact deliver to you that way, you come up here and I'll sit down. No, he lets Amazon deliver it or UPS or the post office. He allows the means he has provided in this world to accomplish that task. And we are called to be that means that he has provided in this world to deliver some of those gifts of God that Amazon doesn't carry. As a people, God created us with needs and ways to meet them. The foremost one, whether everyone realizes it or not, being in need for God himself. A desire for him and a way to draw close to him, a hunger, and a way to feed that hunger, the ability to ponder and reflect, and the mystery to reflect upon. But as he draws us close and into a deepening relationship with him, he also calls us to service in helping to meet those same needs in others. And that is where we are called to be salt and light to the world. You know, I wanted the full name for this retreat to be 
How to bring salt and light to leaven a dim, low-sodium, gluten-free world. But Father Mike thought that was way too long a title. However, undeterred, I am going to talk about salt and light and leaven. But first, let me avoid offending anyone with some disclaimers. I use the terms low-sodium and gluten-free simply to suggest a world lacking in the spiritual salt and light Jesus refers to. I have several gluten-free and low-sodium folks in the family, and of course mean no offense to anyone with dietary restrictions. Okay? Let's talk about salt and light. Pope Francis in a homily one time made these points about our being salt of the earth and light to the world. First, he said, Christians must be salt and light, but never self-serving. Salt must add flavor and light must illuminate the other. Both salt and light are for others not for oneself. Salt does not flavor itself. Light does not illuminate itself. Second, he said there are many things one can do, many works of charity, many great things for the church, a Catholic university, a college, a hospital. You may even be rewarded as a benefactor of the church with a monument. But if you do not pray, it will be dark and dimly lit. Third, he said, what must the Christian do in order for the salt not to run out, so that the oil to light the lamp does not come to an end? The battery a Christian uses to generate light, the Pope explained, is simply prayer. You know, historically, the use of salt was both as a flavor and as a preservative. Jesus telling the disciples to be the salt of the earth was interpreted to mean bringing the full flavor of the Christian life, to preserve it with a basic goodness and faithfulness. However, for the sake of today's reflection, I want you to consider a use for salt that is, especially at this time of year, near and dear to the hearts of those of us who live in northern Indiana. We use salt to thaw the road, make safe, and clear the path. Try to drive on a snow-covered road where you can't see the pavement. You pretty much follow the tracks of the car that went ahead of you, but you have no idea where you are with regard to the center line. What about parking in a snow-covered parking lot first thing in the morning before it has been plowed and salted? Have you been there? You arrive early, you park where you think you should, and you leave your car. Then after you have parked, they plow and salt the lot, the snow melts, and then everyone else can see the lines when they park. Later, you return to find that your car is between spaces or over the end of a space or both, while everyone else is neatly in their space. You look like you were completely lost when you parked. And you know everyone who sees that car thinks, oh, Joe's drunk at work again. When you walk out to your car, if anyone is nearby, you want to explain, hey, it was snow covered when I parked it this morning, honest. Salt clears the pavement and makes straight and safe the path. And if there is one thing we are called to do, it is to try to clear a path in this snow-covered world. I don't know if there are any Green Bay Packer fans among you, but by way of example, I am going to tell a story about Green Bay's quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was interviewed by his girlfriend, Dana Patrick, for a podcast show she started up a few weeks back, and he was widely quoted as saying the following about his belief or lack of belief in God, and I quote, And I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. Oh, I got Jesus, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and there's only 144,000 of us going, even though there's 7 billion of us on the planet. 
And I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? End quote. Now, the point of my sharing this comment is not to condemn Aaron Rodgers, but to use this widely reported statement as an indication of the media reporting that is making it so difficult to be salt today. Aaron Rodgers is widely accepted as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, of course, any reasonable person would ask what that has to do with his having any credibility regarding matters of faith. But in fact, given the high status that we, we award to professional athletes and celebrities today, their expressed opinions on religion, politics, business, you name it, get widely reported. And you can imagine that for the run-of-the-mill, lukewarm in their faith folks out there, not to mention the people who have little or no concept of the truth about God, such a question might well resonate with them. Yeah, he's got a point. Why would a loving God want us all to go to hell? And this is where I think we need to be a little bit salty. The reports in the media emphasize this quote with headlines like, Rogers rips God in Christianity, and emphasizing the, I don't know how you can believe in a God line. The point being that here is a guy with an unfortunately limited and incorrect knowledge of Scripture, getting tons of ink for making a statement that on its face would seem reasonable with a whole bunch of people who don't know any better. He and the media are throwing a lot of snow on the straight road, and we are called to be salt and melted away to reveal the truth if given the opportunity. The Catholic Church has never interpreted those numbers in Revelation as literal numbers, but merely symbolic of a great multitude. And we have never suggested that there was any limit on those who would be saved. If we are to be the salt of the world, we have to be prepared to melt through the snow of ignorance and inaccuracy as to what we teach and believe in order to proclaim the God we know and love as loving Father, merciful Savior, and empowering Spirit who wants us all to be saved. In doing so, we at least give those on the fence a shot at the truth. Rogers also commented about not being able to identify with all the rules and regulations of traditional churches, which brings up another area upon which we are called to shed light, and that is with regard to the truth about sin. Now, of course, we all know no one wants to talk about sin today. It has become almost a forbidden topic, not politically correct, no one is to judge anyone else or impose their rules on anyone. But of course, the truth is that sin isn't really about keeping rules. It is about breaking our relationship with God. If we look at sin as simply the breaking of some arbitrary rule and fail to appreciate the nature and impact of the brokenness, we fail to see the true danger and consequences of sin. We were not designed to get by in this world, but to live in contact, connected to God, and drawing on His power and light. If we break the relationship with God through sin, we cut ourselves off from His power and light. And we often make ourselves vulnerable to losing this connection because while we avoid what are acknowledged as the big sins, abortion, adultery, theft, we compromise on many of the worldview lesser sins, 
pornography, gossip, lust, which still cut the cord. And if the power is disconnected, whether because a tree falls on a pole or a backhole cuts a cable, the same thing happens when the wire on the lamp gets frayed more and more until it shorts out or the stove connection is loose and comes apart when it is bumped. There is no power, no heat, no light. When we are separated from God, we are separated and remain separated until we repent and through the bountiful mercy of God, we are reconnected, turning the power, the heat, and the light back on. And while we are blessed that when we sin, we have a merciful God that waits expectantly for us to repent and return to his loving embrace, we can best be salt and light to the world by taking advantage of the power of God to avoid sin and that separation in the first place. And that brings us to the leaven. You know, leaven, while in different parts of the world, can be a variety of different ingredients added to flour, meal, or dough to make it rise. For a simple reference, we should think of it as yeast. And when Jesus refers to it both in the positive, as in Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened, or when he refers to it negatively, as in Matthew 16 and Mark 8, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He is referring to the effect leaven has on a larger portion of flour, how it gets into it, spreads through it, and over a period of time changes its nature from an inert substance to one that is forming gas and bubbles and changes the entire dough itself. On the positive side, the kingdom of heaven, using its salt and light members, can positively impact and change the world but I want to talk about the other leaven reference. Mark chapter 8, it says, They had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He enjoined them, saying, Watch out, guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They concluded among themselves that it was because they had no bread. When he became aware of this, he said to them, Why do you conclude that it is because you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or comprehend? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and not see? Ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many wicker baskets full of fragments you picked up? They answered him, Twelve. When I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many full baskets of fragments did you pick up? They answered him, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? This is another story that I truly love because I can so easily identify with both the apostles' mistake and Jesus' frustration. Here he is trying to tell them to beware of the bad actions of the Pharisees and Herod and refers to those bad acts as leaven to suggest that as leaven permeates and expands bread, So the Pharisees and their teachings exert a corruptive influence on the crowds. But the apostles completely miss the point, linking the leaven reference to their failure to bring sufficient bread along for the trip. I mean, you can just see them, can't you? What did he say? Something about leaven. He must mean bread. Oh, shoot. We only brought one loaf of bread. That's why he's upset. And Jesus, with a divine eye roll and a shake of his head, 
can't believe they would think that he cares about bread. You know, one of my favorite comedians is John Panette. May he rest in peace. He was a very big guy who did a lot of his comedy around and about food and his love of it. In one routine, he talked about the many shows now on cable TV that center around food. And he said, There are three shows just about cake. One of the shows is called Cake Boss. I did not know you could be the boss of cake. I did not know you could arbitrarily make yourself the boss of a food. I am now the boss of ham. I mention this because if one thing Jesus had shown the disciples in the two events he mentioned of feeding the groups of 5,000 and 4,000 is that Jesus is definitely the boss of bread. He who calls them and us to be salt and light is the same one who makes bread out of nothing. But just as he tries to tell them, don't worry about the bread, I am the boss of bread, he is also telling us he is not only the boss of bread, but of all the other material things we may ever need. But more than that, he is also the boss of sin and for that matter, death. He has conquered sin and death. And therefore, in the same way, the disciples never had to worry about going hungry as long as Jesus was around. We never have to fear sin if we incorporate Jesus into our defense against it. And I say this because while we should know that frequent prayer is the key to maintaining and growing our relationship with God, how many of us actively pray daily to avoid sin, not only in general, but specifically about areas of sin that we are struggling with? For many of us, our prayer about sin is one of repentance after we sin, instead of a proactive request to avoid, resist, and overcome specific sins with which we are struggling. If you are like me, then it is never a question if temptation will come today, but how strong and how often. Making it a part of our daily prayer to ask God to help us avoid sin and temptation, to resist the devil, is a prayer God wants us to pray and wants to hear. That is why it is part of the Lord's Prayer. Although like so many prayers we repeat often, the attention we give to that portion may have waned over time. And that brings us back to the words of Pope Francis about prayer being the ever-ready battery of the light and the never-empty salt supply. Of course, ideally, our prayer involves God ongoingly in our lives of service to him, which helps to conform our efforts in a way that makes them most effective in the mission. For we cannot be overbearing in our exchange any more than too low-key, because when proofing yeast, if the water is too hot, nothing happens. If the water is too cold, nothing In the same way, too much salt ruins the eggs, and too much glare blinds the eye. In closing, let us look to the words of that great preacher, St. John Chrysostom, from this week's Office of Readings. His words on prayer are a fitting encouragement for our pursuit of lives as salt and light. 
Prayer and converse with God is a supreme good. It is a partnership and union with God. As the eyes of the body are enlightened when they see light, so our spirit, when it is intent on God, is illumined by His infinite light. I do not mean the prayer of outward observance, but prayer from the heart, not confined to fixed times or periods, but continuous throughout the day and night. Our spirit should be quick to reach out toward God not only when it is engaged in meditation, at other times also, when it is carrying out its duties, caring for the needy, performing works of charity, giving generously in the service of others, our spirit should long for God and call him to mind so that these works may be seasoned with the salt of God's love and so make a palatable offering to the Lord of the universe. Throughout the whole of our lives, we may enjoy the benefit that comes from prayer if we devote a great deal of time to it. It empowers us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Practice prayer from the beginning. Paint your house with the colors of modesty and humility. Make it radiant with the light of justice. Decorate it with the finest gold leaf of good deeds. Adorn it with the walls and stones of faith and generosity. Crown it with the pinnacle of prayer. In this way, you will make it a perfect dwelling place for the Lord. You will be able to receive him as in a splendid palace. And through his grace, you will already possess him, his image enthroned in the temple of your spirit. For questions or comments on this homily, write to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.